make their way. Father, thank you so much for this day and the gift of life. <clears throat> thank you for it. You've given it to us, Lord, the breath, our heartbeats. You think about that, our heartbeat on an average 11,000 uh, times last night while we were slumbering. It's amazing. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're different from all the rest of creation made in the image of God. And we were made to have fellowship with you. But sin entered through Adam, and uh, we as children are tainted with sin and born lost in the need of a Savior, Lord. Thank you so much that uh, this whole thing of salvation, that you should so send your own Son to be the propitiation for our sin, to be our substitute, O Lamb of God. Thank you, Lord, so much for your calling and election, your keeping. Thank you for the Word of God, the fellowship of the saints. Thank you for the mission that you've given us to make disciples of all nations, of our children, our neighbors, our acquaintances, and our area. As we sow the seed of the gospel, it is the supernatural work of the Spirit of God to open hearts to provide uh, salvation, new birth, to be born from above, as Jesus said. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that heaven is where we're headed. Heaven is our home. This is not heaven. This is a fallen, broken world that is subject to death and to uh, decay, and we know all too well of that. We look forward to the coming of our Savior. Now, Lord, we pray, take the word and teach us, encourage us, Lord, strengthen us. May we be more like Jesus as a result of our study this morning. And for those here that have never trusted Christ, may you open their hearts and save them this morning, we pray. O thou great Jehovah, how we love thee. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Take your Bible, if you've closed it, open it back up to uh, Psalm 16 that uh, we just read together, this glorious psalm. I mentioned last time that this is uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards' favorite psalm. Uh, that may not mean anything to you. Jonathan Edward is one of the great historical persons, one of the greatest minds ever produced in America. Uh, he pastored up in the 1700s in New England, but uh, brilliant, beyond brilliant, a great servant of the Lord, and uh, his favorite verse of all was found in verse 11. You know, one of the things, uh, I love several things about the Christian life. I, I don't know if you've ever just thought about it in general. Uh, not only does it answer the great questions in life and, and the great philosophical, who am I, you know, what, am, what are we doing here, and uh, what's it all about, and what in the world went wrong? You know, we like, something's not right here, it's upside down, you know, it's a Humpty Dumpty world. It fell off the wall, all the king's horses, all the king's men, all the education you get. None of it can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Something is dreadfully wrong here. And we have that awareness as a people. Uh, and, of course, we know it was sin and death. We live in that kind of a world. Where am I going? Another great question that uh, God alone answers in the only book that he ever gave, the wonderful scriptures. I mean, I love all of those things. And therefore, God gives us the great shalom, the great peace in our heart, that it's, it's well. His, he's provided the answer. It's not me and Jesus. It's all of God. It's a gift of salvation to those who believe and will receive him. It's wonderful beyond wonderful. But beyond all of that, and that's an enormous uh, a dump truck to back up and dump all those blessings. You're like, wow. What I love about the Christian life is this. Um, uh, is the joy that God visits us. 
I love the joy of the Lord in my life. And I know it's a mark of the Spirit of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And uh, the joy, it's not happiness. Happiness is when, you know, the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl. Uh, that, that has not happened. They've been there four years in a row, but they never, it's been a long time ago, even that happened. No, that's how you get a momentary high, and, oh, it's one, and then you crash, right? And we're back to reality. Not happening. Joy is this abiding sense of the felicity of God that comes through my heart. And even though there's maybe a veil of tears, and there is, you know, we, we read the book of Lamentations, the book of weeping, there, Jeremiah, the, there, there's laughter, there's joy, the whole gamut, the mix. But in the midst of it all and through it all, it's God, the Holy Spirit, through the fruit, of, produces joy. And I just love it. He gives us a song. And we get to sing to the Lord and make melody. And he calls us to do that. And what a sweet thing that is. Do you, uh, amen on that? Do some of you understand? Amen. The joy. You know what I mean? I love it. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, Surprised by Joy. Never saw it coming. And uh, even though bad stuff happens... God produces joy in, in our life. Well, Psalm 16 is, is all about that whole related theme, the contentment now and forever. And you helped me last week. You shared some issues as why, uh, why people are not content. And we live in a very discontented age. That's our age. It seems more so now than what I re recollect in days gone by. I don't know if it's the politics. I don't know if it's the, the economy. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the TV everywhere and everywhere is watching and why don't I have this and I'm not happy till I get that. And, and that's all Madison Avenue, right? They all, they all are saying, look, unless you buy that toothpaste, Forget it. You're not going to be happy and content. Unless you buy that car, that house, this stuff, blah, 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 blah. That's the American way, right? You're not happy. But you know, you save up, you get it, and after two days, you go like, ah. You throw it in the closet and go like, oh, what was that? You know, none of that stuff. None of that stuff provides contentment and joy. But Psalm 16 tells us contentment now and forever. So we introduced it last time. Discontentment seems to be the spirit of our day. There appears to be great restlessness in the souls of men and women who yearn, who yearn to have it all and believe that they somehow deserve it. This should not surprise you, for this is the direct result of a culture that's turned away from God and yearns to make a heaven on earth. I want it all now. You see, when you have the idea that death ends all and that's it, game over, money in the box, that's it. Then I want to have heaven on earth and get it all now. I deserve a long retirement. I deserve, why? Why? Because there's no hope of beyond the grave. And it's the paganizing of our culture, more so uh, by inches, year by year by year. For th that's all there is. That's all there is. So let's get it now. Even Christians can have struggle with discontentment. I have found that through the years. And it happens when we take our eyes off Jesus. And it's that guy has a better lot, and that person has a better circumstance, and I want their gifts, I want their husband, I want, he seems like a nice guy, she seems nice, and this and that, I want to, I can't shoot the ball as well, I want them, I hope they get hurt, I want to play on, you know, like, this. just, the Christians can be, we can be filled with, our, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and attempt to satisfy our hearts with things that were never designed, never designed to, be, to take the place of Jesus. Now look, I love my wife, my wife. I fell in love with her 40 years ago. Imagine that. 
we were just like six years old. Just kind of, just kind of. Just kind of. But you know what? As much as I love her and I've grown to love her, and I think I'm starting to figure her out. Forget, Lenny says, forget it, it's hopeless. That keeps the intrigue. You go like, whoa, what was that curveball? Didn't see that coming. She's never designed to be the place of Jesus to me. She could never do, I could never put that burden on her. She would fail me all the time, you see. As great as it could be, and she's got to live with me, so pray for her. But <laughs> it's, you see what I mean? Or that car, or that boat, or that house, or that job, or that bank account. You see, none of that stuff. It's okay in its place, but it's never made to fill the place of Jesus. Never. Never. You can't import that upon her. It's unfair to her. And when we try to do that, we'll never, we'll never be fulfilled. We'll never find that contentment. Never. Never will we. Uh, Psalm 87, 7, the psalmist writes, All the, my springs of joy are in you, O God. Well, David reminds us that our deepest yearnings are only satisfied in knowing and walking with the Lord. David tells us that the Lord is his portion in life and his deliverer in death. And so Jesus is the prescription for discouragement. He is the living waters. He is the living water. So simply three parts of this psalm uh, David's song of contentment pointing us to the only source of satisfaction. And I encourage you, drink this water and you'll never thirst again. Some of you are into drinking all sorts of bottled water, right? You like to get that purified stuff. I, Lenny, I love Bob Albright. Bob tells me they just fill it up at the tap and then they sell it to you. Are you dumb or dumber or what? Now I tell Faith that she never believes that. But uh, that's, that's why I have this up here. She makes sure I have that every week. Thank you, dear. But uh, Bob thinks it comes right out. <laughs> and they charge you, charge you a buck if you get a cheap one, right? Now, that probably messed up some of your days. I'm sorry about that. But, <laughs> you know, there is a kind of water that is far superior than this agua right here, right? It's the Lord Jesus. Drink this water and you'll never thirst again. John 4.14. The woman at the well. Stop, I urge you, stop trying to quench your thirst with the things that will never satisfy. Never. Only Jesus. I mean that. I must be slow and slower, but it's more and more I see it with such clarity in my own life. Well, three parts. First is our source, that David writes here. Our source is God alone. And then the second uh, part is our present, uh, enjoying God and His blessings today. David's going to recount the four blessings that God showers him. And then the third part is our future, enjoying God forever. How's that? Forever. Verses 9 through 11. Well, our source, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, he begins, Preserve me, O God. It's the word El, E-L. It's the most common name for God. It's like the English word God. You know, uh, you'll hear the Muslims talk about, well, God. They'll call him Allah. But God, it can be used. It's used in a very generic sense. But here it's used of the Lord. A, a mighty one or strong one is what the word means. Or he says, uh, Preserve me, O God, O mighty one, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, here he's going to call him by his personal name, Yahweh, the personal name of God, revealed in Exodus 3. Remember that when Moses said, when, go, he, he was told, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses was like, but, 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 but,
It's a great text in, in, in Exodus 3. And God at the burning bush, it's the pre-incarnate Christ, says, tell them I am Yahweh. We believe it's pronounced something like that. Uh, the Hebrews didn't use vowels. Imagine that writing English without vowels. And so we're not quite sure exactly how, just the concept. You think about that in English. You ever try that? Look at a, a write a sentence without the vowels in. You know your English well enough so you could almost read it without the vowels uh, and, and that kind of thing. And uh, the master reads, put the vowel pointing in later as they thought. So we're not exactly sure, but we think it's Yahweh. Now, what is his name? Tell them I am. It's the word, the ever-present being. I am. It reveals who the Lord is. His, we, we name people because, oh, I like that name. Like uh, our Olympian friend, cousin, his name is Sage, and his brother's name is Blade. Uh, they're, they're like cutting edge, cutting edge, <laughs> touche, right? Cutting edge type names. We're like, oh, that's a cute name, and so on and so forth. Or, but in the Bible, when they gave names, it revealed their character. And when God gives names, he reveals himself. He's a self-revealing God. And when Jesus says uh, repeatedly in John, I am that I am. I am the way, the truth. I am, I am, I am. It's the Amy, it's the Greek form of the, he's going back to, don't miss this. He's the God of Exodus 3. It's his personal name, the Lord Jesus. How about that? Well, God alone is the source of our contentment. He alone. David tells us that the Lord alone is his refuge out of all possible choices. And believe me, there are all possible. Don't you love multiple guess exams? Uh, especially those in psychology. Some of you took that. A, B, and C, A, and D, all above, none above, A, and F. Uh, uh, you know, like, uh, park my brain in the parking lot. I can't figure. No, there are many choices in life. People, all of us are, are religious some people say, oh, you're religious. And I say, so are you. You're putting your faith in the wrong object. We are. God wants our faith in him. And David puts his faith, his trust, and hides himself in the refuge of the strong man, the refuge, God alone. He rejects lesser things like money in our day, right? Health. Oh, he's got his health. He's got everything. Oh, yeah. His strength, his biceps. Incidentally, I pray that way. Praying that God would just reveal himself so great in our future. He's given us the land there. He's given us the plan. And we're just praying for 10 participants. We're praying for Mike as we build. And I pray, Lord, show us your biceps. Show us your strength. You know, and just make a way that, that all of us are diminished and it's only Jesus that people see the cross raised and the hundreds of people that drive by. Here's a people that love the Lord. That's what I pray for. That's, 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 that's it. Rather, his relationship to the Lord is the bedrock of his life, the source of all good in his life. That's what he says. You're the source. Apart from you, I have no good, no good thing. One of the other translations. God is the source of all the good in your life. Now, let's just stop there. God is the source of all the good in your life. Think about that. Sometimes we're, we pause at Thanksgiving time, don't we? You say, okay, pastors that make a list of all the things we're thankful for. And it's always the good things, you know. Well, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. My job, my children, my uh, circumstance. I'm glad my bills are paid. I'm glad for heat. I'm glad for friends. I'm, we go, listen, every good thing in your life uh, comes from God. And if you know the Lord, he is the ultimate good of all. And in fact, in the ancient English, when the Anglican uh, language that we speak was forming, they took the word God and added an extra O and made it good, the sense of God in good. God is 
great. God is good. We used to teach that to our kids. God, we thank you for this day, for this food. Right? Goodness in God. Every good thing comes from Him. Faith and I will often say that from James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him, sent from the Father of lights. And uh, when we're surprised, we go like, Lord, thank you. It's your goodness. We have a veil of tears at point, but in and through it all, you're good. God is good, and we praise you for it. And David said, it's all of the Lord. And so rather, his relationship to the Lord is the bedrock of his life, and he expresses it, his close walk, by using the various names for the Lord. I already said the word God, that's L. He opens with that. Then the, the personal name, Lord, see the, all the letters are capitalized. In our translation, they want to show you the difference in the Hebrew between the personal name of the Lord. They always capitalize that, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in verse 2. And then it has, you are my Lord. Now notice that, capital L. Then it's lowercase o, r, and d. That's a different Hebrew word. That's the word Adonai. That's Lord. That's Master. So he says, O mighty one, O Lord. He calls him by personal name, Yahweh. Then he says, you're my Master. And so that's why I put on your sheet here. It's, it's like David's close walk is expressed in how we would say, Jesus that's his personal name. You shall call his name Jesus. He is our Lord, that's Kyrios, our Master, we bow before him, and our Savior, meaning our strong deliverer. He's our strong deliverer. That's the same thing that we would say in our day. Well, now what's the result of, uh, of David's walk with the Lord? Well, it has bearing on his relationship to others in, in, in verses 3 and 4. On one hand, the text says, he loves the saints. Look at verse 3. As for the saints, they're the godly ones in the land. What? They're ones that were redeemed in the Old Testament time. They're, they're fellow Christians, we would say today, truly Christian. They are the ones, they are excellent. They're the ones in whom all my delight is. And then he contrasts that with those that don't know God, that worship uh, uh, pagan gods and their lifestyle, and he won't even take the name of that God on their lips, and, uh, and so on. So I say, on the one hand, those who love the Lord will, will love the company of those who love him. It's a beautiful thing, this, this love that we have for Christians. Have you ever met Christians that you, you met them and you discovered that they were believers? You'd never know. And there's that instant bonding. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. That oneness that we experience in Jesus, I love it so much. And the fellowship of the saints among the church, you've got God's people, uh, the, the love that binds us. That's what he's saying here. And yet second, on the other hand, those who love the Lord will find it troubling and uncomfortable to be with those who sin openly and curse our Lord and hate our Savior. I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable. I had a dear aunt. She's gone now. She's my father's sister. And she swore and used the Lord's name all the time. And uh, we, used to, we used to brace when she would come to visit. And it was, it was the Lord's name and GD this and all that and all that. And I felt like we needed to take a bath when we were done. And yet we knew that she was lost and in darkness. And, and uh, my mom primarily witnessed the gospel of Christ to her over and over. And we don't even know she's gone now if she ever trusted Jesus, lived to be a long old age. 
And we hope that she was saved at the end, but we don't know that. But it was always bracing. Now, he's not saying here that we, we don't go into the world. It's nice to be together. It's great when we come together. This is like a, this is like a MASH, a mobile army surgical hospital, right? We come together, we worship, we sing, we pray, we fellowship, we get fed from the Word, then we go out. Go get them, you know, go get them. Into another seven days to serve Jesus in the mission field. We get knocked around, banged around and all that, and we come back in and we're wounded. And, and God heals us in the fellowship of the saints. We pray for each other, and we go out again into the world to be salt and light in the world. But while we're in the world, and we're in the midst of that, we feel like Lot and Sodom, don't we? We're like, oh, it torments my, 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 my righteous soul that the Lord is making. When, when we see people that hate God and curse God and swear at God, and, and the things that faith, and I often say that the awful things that people do to each other, it's horrible, really. It's horrible. And yet, God places us strategically into this world to be salt and light for him. Though we, like, can't we cloister together? Some have done that in church. It's no good. It's no good. We need each other, but then to go out into the world and be missionaries for Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so a very practical, I have on your sheet, a very practical way to measure our relationship to the Lord now is do we love other believers? Do you seek their company? Now, I think I have a typo here. Uh, it should be, or, uh, or and or something, are you troubled by the godless in their values? Are you shocked by godless desires? Are you repulsed by their blasphemies? Or are you at ease with them? And if you're at ease with them, it's because you're far away from Jesus. You better get back before you deny him like Peter Remember Peter warming himself in the courtyard of Caiaphas? There he is. They're cussing and swearing these unbelievers while Jesus was arrested there. And uh, he's joining right in with them, right? Felt quite comfortable in that. And I say, you better come back to the Lord quick because in a little bit he was going to deny the Lord and so will you. I mean, our ways are so weak and puny and we are so vulnerable. Lead us not into temptation was our Lord's uh, call for us to prayer. Uh, birds of a feather fly together. You ever hear that? My mother. Uh, it's funny, all these little, little things that come back, you know, through the years. A stitch in time make what? Nine. Some of you know that. Nine. Yeah. Uh, uh, birds of a feather fly together. Get yourself home. You know, who are you hanging around with? <laughs> and we all know what that means. And, uh, and so on. Just a way to self-measure here, you know. Who do you love? Who do you love? Being? God alone is our source. God is the source of all good. And it's a blessed thing to be with his people. Well, notice he takes in verses 5 through 8, he, he takes inventory uh, presently, enjoying God and his blessings today. And David recounts here four blessings that God showers upon him. Uh, the first one is that God provides our daily bread. Uh, this is in verse 5. Read it. The Lord is my chosen portion, portion of food, if you will, my delight, my cup, my cup. And it refers to, uh, it means one's daily portion of food. By extension, it would refer to all other necessities. Now, oftentimes we get uh, necessities and desires mixed up, don't we? My kids did that years ago. Dad. Dad, I need that bike. Uh, son, you don't need the bike. <laughs> no, I need that bike. <laughs> no, you don't need the bike. You need water and air. 
Uh, and we're like, uh, and we're, uh, adults are big, uh, big kids. Uh, we're kids with big bodies, right? You know, a guy said, well, I needed that truck. I said, how'd you get in that credit? Said, well, I, I just, I needed that truck. Oh, you use it for work? No, all guys have to have a truck. I needed that truck. You needed the truck. I think we have a problem here <laughs> with the wording. Do you really believe you need it? Oh, yeah, I need it. No, you didn't need it. You didn't need it. God promised David here, and David expresses, Lord, you have met my daily need. You have met all the necessities of my life. I love that Psalm 37, 25. The psalmist says, uh, I was young, but now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. I mean, it may get lean, but we're still indoors and we still had a meal. I, I, was, I was young, but now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And then my margin of my Bible, I said, except for one. He was forsaken that we might never be. My God, my God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Why hast thou forsaken? Forsaken that we might not be. And here David said, Lord, you have met my every need, my every extension. And it means that, that uh, it was the same thing as Jesus taught us. Give us today our daily bread. And by extension, it means every single thing, all the provisions of life, we are to look to God individually as a church and God has met them in David's life, and he promises to meet them in ours. Thank you for daily bread. We're praying that way even, you know that, as a church, that God would raise up ten folks to help us, and uh, we're praying for that, looking to the Lord. You're looking for that in your own life. We're praying for Vi, for your, for your, uh, your need of work, and, and others as, as it comes up. And Cindy, I know that, we're, Lord, we're... T- we're yours. You've promised to meet our needs, and, and we're looking unto you, and pray for your timing, and, and your provision, and you're great, and, and we trust you. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Be strong. We need that because we're weak and, and pitifully timid and fearful. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord, and he'll carry us through. He, David said, Lord, you're my portion, and you're my cup. The second thing, notice uh, uh, B, God provides us with safety. Safety. Safe at last in the broken world. You hold my lot secure. That's the idea. You hold my lot secure. Our general circumstance of life is safe because the Lord defends us and therefore we will not be uprooted and cast out. We are safe in the arms of Jesus. What a great thing. He's our keeper. He's our shepherd, but more, he's our keeper, safe. Last fall, when my mother had that terrible uh, heart attack and we thought we were going to lose her to glory, I told you the Lord brought back that old hymn. It's funny how it is, these songs come back. You know, there's the, you know, and, and that reminds me, you know, you remember, you, you remember everything that ever happened to you. Do you know that? You know, good and bad, but you do. You say, well, I, I, that math class and that science and, uh, no, it's, no, you have a retrieval problem. It's filed somewhere. It is. It's up there. And then this song came back, safe, this old song, safe, I kept saying, safe in the arms of Jesus, safe in the arms. I don't even know where that came from, but his hymn just flooded my soul with grace. When we were walking through those days, didn't know if we were going to lose mom to heaven or not, safe. And it reminds we are kept and we are safe in a crazy day where we feel so insecure. And NSA, every day is in the headlines. National uh, Security or Safety, is it, agency? 
Security or safety? Security, yeah. I mean, it's right in the headlines every day. The Olympics are like an armed camp, they said, with all the military and the militia and the police and everything. I got safety, security, and all of this. David said, look, you, you, you are the one. You are the one that provides safety. You hold my lot secure, safe in the arm. He is our keeper. I like reading uh, to folks in the hospital that Psalm 121 where it tells you, where the psalmist says in 121, you are my keeper. We don't keep ourselves. Now think about it, really. You don't keep yourself. For a lot of your years, you were born, you didn't know anything. Somebody changed your bottom and fed you with a spoon. You didn't even know your name. And a lot of times it happens on the other end. It's the same way. You don't keep yourself. God keeps us. We're, he's written all our days in his book before we lived one of them. It's, it's so great. He keeps us. I mean, Pop, Faithy's uh, dad's on his stationery of his business, put Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who could be against us? Wow, I like that. I'm feeling pretty safe at that point. Where's the enemy? He's smaller than my God. What's the obstacle? He's smaller than my God. Wow, I love that. Well, save, David. The third C is God provides us with deep satisfaction. Here's the heart of it now, this whole psalm. Deep satisfaction as we walk with him through life. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, or verse 6, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Some of the translations say the boundary lines. The boundary lines for me, and that's the idea, have fallen for me in pleasant places. Remember when the children of Israel uh, were given their allotted portion in the promised land? You know, the tribe of Dan was here, and the tribe of Judah was here, and the tribe of Benjamin, and the Levites, they were the priests. They didn't get land, but they got cities. Remember that? Uh, the boundary lines for me. He's talking figuratively here, talking about the utter and deep contentment of his soul. The joy, the contentment that I walk with God here and here, and I'm just going to walk with him like Enoch into glory forever. How great is that in a world of, of turmoil and upside down and brokenness and, and death everywhere. The boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Surely I have a beautiful inheritance. How different is that from the, from the rock song of the 60s? I don't get no satisfaction. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried. I don't get no... Boy, that's the opposite here, isn't it? That's what we enjoy if you know Jesus as your Savior. The contentment, the joy, the satisfaction, that no matter what befalls us, Jesus doeth all things well. He has a purpose in it. And it's always good. Romans 8.28, Lord, whatever it is, the boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Oh, don't I love that so much. Oh, man. Well, number one, David is content with what God has meted out to him, especially since so many are not in our day, right? And two, we're content because we have him with us always. And having him, we have everything. End of story. If you got that, we can just go home now, right? Having him, you have everything. It's not him plus, it's not him plus, if you have Jesus, you have everything. And we pointed that out last week in our little abridged sermonette, 
where I quote, and I have on your sheet Hebrews 13.5, where the author of Hebrews says, keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And if you, if you don't get it, what he's saying is, you have everything in me. Don't walk around with the gimmies. Give me this thing, give me that thing, and I'll just be... No, you have it all with me. You're wealthy beyond compare. Don't walk around griping that you don't have pocket change. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I love it so much. Well, it's deep satisfaction in life. Whether we live this long or this long, is for Jesus. It's beautiful. And the last inventory, we have God's counsel. In verses 7 and 8, David, God counsels us with his wonderful word. Uh, David needed counsel. He was the king. He needed counsel. His decisions affected many people. And to ask for wisdom. We need to pray for our leaders. We're told to pray. And sometimes folks will get all, all upset about the direction of politics and the land and all that. And the local and Harrisburg. And I say double your prayers. Double your prayers for them. Don't be griping. Don't be complaining. They need your prayers. Look, this world is so utterly broken. The, the solutions are beyond humanity. Okay? Maybe you don't like the leanings. Just double your prayers that God will give wisdom and, uh, and restraint and hold back evil and promote the common good and be a terror to evil. Pray that way, as the Bible says. Pray that way. They need counsel. They need God's work. Well, David needed counsel as a king. His decision affected many people. But then don't we need counsel? We need counsel, and God offers the greatest counsel of all right here. And it's not $200 an hour. Come on in, sit on the couch. Okay, what's your name? You know, did, you know, did your mother hate you? And did you beat your brother up? Okay, I think I know the problem. <laughs> you need a lumbotomy or something. No, God counsels us with this wonderful word here. And so much that David studies it, and at night he's laying in bed thinking about it and thinking about decisions. That's what he's talking about as he's laying in bed. He's thinking about God's Word. He's thinking about the problems and the issues. I can't tell you how many times God gives me answers to issues uh, and situations. Uh, at, at late at night or during the night, I used to keep a tablet by my nightstand and write down ideas because I lost more good ones than I kept. You know, if you do that, you go like, oh, I'll remember that in the morning. No, you won't. No, you won't. I have lost more good ones than I kept. And that helps. And, and it is the counsel of God's wonderful word. We saw that in Psalm 19 the, the, the other week. Don't our decisions affect others? They do. They affect our loved ones. They affect us the, in the church. They, and most importantly, they affect you, right? What a man or woman sows, it's the principle of farming, they're going to reap. You know, and then the then wisdom between right and wrong is not so bad. They're pretty clear. We may talk ourselves into the wrong. We're good at that, aren't we? Scares me our ability to rationalize. But um, between better and best, those those are oh Lord, which is the better of the two good choices? Those are the hard ones. Lord, give me wisdom, and the Lord will. If any man lack wisdom, James one, ask of the Lord, and he'll he will guide you and direct you in that. And I'm so grateful for that. God provides his counsel if we ask him. Listen, your life under God's providence is the results of thousands of decisions you've made and of decisions others have made that have touched your life under God's sweet providence. That's true. And I pray God 
May I make good. Thank you for your counsel, O rock of ages. And well, David in the presence enjoying God's blessing, and so are we. But he doesn't stop there as he closes out this great song of contentment, verses 9, 10, and 11. He looks into the future, enjoying God forevermore. Now David turns to the future, expresses his confidence in what God will do for him in death and beyond. Now you might want to underline that, and beyond. Most times people think death, that's the end. Curtain drops, show's over, right? Right? You go to a cemetery, what's your life? Who knows what your life is at a cemetery? You ever look at those stones? Feel the stones with the, here lies John Smith, you know, born in whatever and died in whatever. What's your life there, right? Your life is a hyphen. That's your life. You thought it was a long one, No. No? In fact, it's amazing. Have you ever noticed that the longer you live, even if you are a great man or woman, the shorter, you know, when you, when you die, it's about that long maybe. And then uh, each uh, year and decade that pass, and uh, they forget. The, that's what Ecclesiastes says. The coming generations won't even remember them. That happens, right? Go down to D.C. and ask who was the first president of the United States. A lot of them don't even know. George Washington. Now, that's a whole other issue, I realize that. But your, your description of your life gets fewer. That is one sentence. And really, it ends up 1954 and, and another date, and there's your life, the hyphen. That's my, wow, I knew it was a breath. Yet, yeah, no, it's a hyphen. And usually they say, well, that's the end. May you rest in peace. David's saying death and beyond. Wait a minute, it's like there's the death date, and then you got like dot, 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 dot after. Not, I never saw that at a cemetery, but that would be biblical. Death and beyond. Uh, look, at, uh, look at verse 9. For, uh, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Here's the reason for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. That's the grave. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the dot, dot, dot after your death day. Our future, enjoying God forever. Well, indeed the best is yet, right? Yet to come. A, the death does not rattle us. For, the, for, for to us it is the door that leads us to Jesus and to our resurrection. Because he rose, so will we. Since Jesus broke the chains of death through his death, we no longer fear death. His death was the death of death. David expressed such great trust in the Lord that, it, that God would even keep him from decay. And in this, he unwittingly spoke of Jesus. Here's a good example of, uh, of an Old Testament, and David is called prophetic in the Acts because of this verse here, or let your Holy One see corruption in verse 10b there, that he's quoted in the very first sermon Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, and David speaking, seeing of the Lord's day, said that he would not rot in the ground, and it's speaking of Jesus. David had such trust in the Lord such because of God's care for him today and he looked for him for the future that as he saw that, that God would even keep his life, his body from putrefying in the grave as he lived with him forevermore. And in that, it pointed directly at Jesus. Oh, I have, I have the references in Acts on your sheet. And even Paul refers to it in Acts 13. Interesting. In interesting. 
Wow, that God... And, and we live on this side of Jesus' resurrection. He's a thousand years on the, before it. And we, we look back at David and go like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Jesus, David, yeah. No, he didn't have that. You see what I mean? And God had so worked in his life and writing scripture here, he unwittingly spoke of Jesus, but in expressing his own hope that God would just take him to heaven with him. Didn't know how the mechanics of all that would work out. And then be then beyond our death, beyond our death, I love that, abundant life. That's that, that chapter, that, that verse 11. David closes by saying, You make known to me the path of life that's now and forever. Ron asked me, did I think this is uh, future yet, or is it present? And, and the, the reality is it begins now, and it just goes on forever. God has made known to me the path of life. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you come to Jesus, it is the path of life, and light, and love. And so we began that when we come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we just keep walking like Enoch. Uh, God just one day took him with him. Now, he was translated and live with him forever. It's the path of life, not death. And the second, he said, and in your presence there's fullness of joy. We experience the joy now, sometimes a lot of joy, sometimes not as much when the reality of life and, and all that that hits, but joy never does. But one day it will be, it will be like a, a, a joy that is just overflowing without end. I can't wait. You get a taste of it. Sometimes Faithy will make a meal and she'll let me get a taste of it. Oh, and I don't want to ruin my supper. You know how it is? You don't, you just, you're going to have a great meal and you go like, oh, she's cooking away here and I'll get a taste of it. And I go, oh, I can't wait to eat that. Oh, I can't wait. That's what joy is. No, we get a taste of it. We go like, I can't imagine what this joy, this fullness of joy is without end. Lord, I want it. Now, even so, come quickly. And then finally, he says, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Not bad, right? Pleasures forevermore. Mark said the other month when he was preaching, remember he said, he said, the thing about youth is, youth tends to be pleasure all the time, interrupted with pain here and there. But as you get older, the other end, it's pain most of the time, interrupted occasionally with pleasure. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or you relate to that or at all, but uh, <laughs> some of you are like, well, what in the world is he talking about? But pleasures forevermore. I'm not sure all that that looks like, but that sounds incredibly great to me. And that's with the Lord and glory forevermore, forever and ever and ever and ever. Wow. Job 7:14. the great question. If a man dies, will he live again? David asked. David had the hope. And Jesus demonstrated, yes. Yes, yes, all because of Jesus, all because of him. R.A. Torrey was a Bible teacher of an earlier generation, and he tells a story uh, of uh, four men who were <coughs> climbing the most difficult face of the Matterhorn. The Matterhorn, for some of you, at Disney, Disney is, that's the mountain that they used, a little small replica, of course, of that, for their, their ride in the Matterhorn. Um, uh, but uh, the most difficult face of the real Matterhorn over in Europe, there was a guide, a tourist, a second guide, and a second tourist. They were all roped together, climbing the face of this mountain. And they went over a particularly difficult place, and as they did so, the second tourist uh, lost his footing, and he went over to the other side. 
the sudden pull of the rope carried the second guide with him, and he carried the other tourist along also. The three men were now dangling over the cliff. But the guide who was in the lead, feeling the first pull on the rope, drove his axe into the ice, braced himself, and held fast. The first tourist then regained his footing. The guide regained his, and the second tourist followed, and they went on to safety. R.A. Torrey goes on to say, So it is in this life. As the human race ascended the lofty cliffs of life, the first Adam lost his footing, and he tumbled headlong over the abyss. He pulled the second man with him, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next, until the whole human race flung in deadly peril. But the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, he kept his footing. He stood fast. Thus all who are united to him by a living faith are secure and can regain the path. Bless the Lord. Lessons are what to, so what, what difference should this make? Quickly, what difference should all this make in your life that Jesus is my portion in life and that he is my deliverer in death? Well, number one, if you allow the Lord Jesus, if you allow the Lord Jesus can fill your heart so full with himself that joy will flow out of you to all others. Joy, it's the felicity of God, really through the Spirit of God flowing through you. And Jesus will keep you safe no matter what comes in your life. For who, who, if God be for us, who can be against us? The Lord is our keeper. You are made to live and serve Him. You are made to fellowship Him like friendship. And when you do what God made you to do, you will be fulfilled. You will be satisfied. I promise you. I know that that's true. He is your shepherd, but more, he is your keeper and your friend. Number two, if you try to find fulfillment in life apart from Jesus, you know, trying to cram into your heart and soul, it will never satisfy the deepest yearnings of your soul. You may have a brief high, like a hit they talk about. I got that excited, and then I come crashing down. Then I got uh, crashing down. It will never endure. Never, never, never. Why? It was never made to do that. Try as you may. It will never bring deep satisfaction and contentment. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm so glad our men are going to study that this semester. I mean, that's the whole question that we're going to be dealing with here. Is that all there is? Remember that sad song? Is that all there is to a fire? Is that all there is to life? You know, it's a very sad world we live in. Master, what's his name? Master Jack. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> yeah, it will never. Number three, death does not shake us. For our Lord conquered death. For the believer, death opens the door to, to Jesus, to heaven. It is the day of our race is done. And then we'll be at home with the Lord. Isn't it great to be home? You ever travel long and far away? Oh, it's great to be home. It's great to be home. Nothing like, I, we've driven extra hundreds of miles just to sleep in your own bed, to be at home. Have you done that? Or are we the only ones that do that? Just to be, oh, you know, sometimes we're babies. We'll take our pillows with us. I want my pillow. You know, it's a piece of home. To be home with the Lord. Therefore, I say we can look into the future with great expectation and smile. You ought to be able to do it. That's God's work in your life. Number four, as we walk closely to the Lord, He gives us the path of life. 
He gives us the taste of this joy that will ultimately be full joy and pleasures. Oh, how great is that? In him we have everything. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We have everything. If you have Jesus, you have everything. Absolutely everything. And fifth and last, how great it would be today if you're here and you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How great it would be today if you asked the Lord to save you from the guilt of your sin. A simple prayer of faith like a child. Lord, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Be merciful unto me. In the quietness of your heart, I receive you as my Lord and my God. And I promise you, based on the authority of God's word, he will save you. He will. He will. David's psalm, this great psalm of contentment, he reminds us that, that uh, Jesus is our portion in life and our deliverer in death. Oh, praise the Lord for that. You should have found in your bulletin, uh, uh, we sing worship song and some hymns occasionally. Let's sing this a cappella and remind ourselves that every good thing comes from the Lord in our life. Come thou fount of every blessing. Let's stand and we'll sing this and have prayer and we'll be done. <clears throat> Everybody, how many of you remember this, this great? Let's really sing it out. I hope you carry this with you all week long and you mumble it. Some of you may know the words better than I, but well, let's sing it, shall we? Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure, and to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Father, we acknowledge that you are our fount of blessing. You have blessed us with all goodness and blessings in Jesus. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. For the gospel, which is the treasure of all treasures, 
and for saving us and keeping us. Strengthen us, Lord. Renew in our heart deeper love for you and service as we commit ourselves to you, as we go out into your mission field today to serve you this week. We ask your favor and blessing until we meet again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.